Hello, and welcome once again to episode 12 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name, once again, is Dimitri, and I'll be your host for this episode. And I'm joined today by my solo fellow completionist, Fernando. Hello, hello. And we actually have a special guest today, James McDougall. Welcome hey, to the show. Uh, so James, welcome. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how you got into programming and why you chose Apple platform development? Uh, yeah, so it's a little bit of a long-winded story, but uh, give me a little bit of a chance to uh, explain it to you. Um, so basically, uh, born and raised in a, in a non-tech town. Um, I lived two hours from San Francisco, but my town didn't get the memo. Uh, so there's like nothing there <laughs> tech-wise. Um, I graduated from high school in 07, uh, and we all know what happened in 08. So I joined the Navy, did four years there. And uh, after I got out, I went down to Orlando, Florida, got my bachelor's in audio engineering. Um, I worked at a studio uh, after I got my, my bachelor's there uh, for about two years. And then uh, we, one day the manager came in and fired everyone on, the fir on his first day. So that was fun. And so I came home to California and uh, I uh, stayed at my dad's for a couple months, uh, looked for work over in San Francisco, couldn't find anything. So I decided to make the conscious decision to move down to uh, LA and I slept in my car for six months while I was looking for work. It was, it sucked and it was not fun, obviously, but uh, I was willing to do anything to find work. And so after six months, I finally gave up because it was, the market down there was so oversaturated. It was super hard to, to find work, even though I networked with all my alumni down there. And I came home with tears in my eyes uh, to my dad's and I was like, dad, like, what am I going to do? I can't find work. I can't find a job. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said one of the most profound things to me that I'll remember to the day I die. Uh, and it's like, listen, kiddo, if the path isn't providing for you, you need to provide your own path. And so uh, it kind of stuck with me for the, uh, ever since then. And so the next day I sat in the Starbucks and I, I was just sulking and I was uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And I was looking for work and I found a website that was going to allow audio engineers to help uh, musicians find each other. And it was kind of oversaturated and they were going to take money out of uh, my account to pay for the service, which is, I mean, I understand, but it just seemed like it just didn't sit well with me. And so I ended up listening to this guy named Gary Vaynerchuk one time, and uh, he's, he kind of led into this, this thing about having a one life and one shot, and the only people that are going to listen to you, uh, sulk, are the people who are your dumb friends and your immediate family. So uh, it kind of made me snap out of it, and I listened to this, uh, this podcast with a, a gentleman named uh, Mike Dillard, and he had this other gentleman named Mike Tupper, or, I'm sorry, Jake Tupper on there. And he was helping other people find, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, do golf exercises or to learn how to golf and with using, um, using professional golfers. So I turned around and I was like, well, wait a minute. He's got a million people for $10 a month. Obviously, if he can do this with golf, I can do this with music. So I slowly started teaching myself HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And then I was listening to more Gary Vee podcasts and he made the, the correct, he made the, uh, the statement of Facebook doubled down and went mobile. And so I was like, wait a minute, he's right. Everyone's got a mobile phone in their pocket. I was like, this would be 
stupid of me to not move forward using mobile. So I just Googled, hey, how do I make an iPhone app? And that's where everything was born. And my entrepreneurial mind ran through. Um, then in mid-July of 2019, my dad died. Uh, he, I kind of lost myself there for a couple months, and then I moved down to San Francisco uh, uh, two months after I signed, or I'm sorry, I signed the paperwork uh, for his estate, the last piece of paperwork, figured, didn't know what I was going to do, so I realized, I remembered what he said uh, regarding making my own path, so I moved down to San Francisco and slept in my car for another six months while I just uh, kept my head down. I did Lyft and Uber. Um, I, uh, I, I drove the morning shift. I coded for eight hours a day in a Starbucks, and then I uh, did the night shift. Went to a Planet Fitness every night, showered, and then I uh, went, you know, slept in my car. And that's just what it was. And then I saw the the commercials for Lambda, and I uh, I applied and I got in, and I just devoured everything I was. And I think that's pushed me to become as good of a developer as I can. Because I know where I was at. I know the problems. I know the struggles that I was facing when I didn't have anything. And so now that has brought me to this point where I'm at right now. Wow. Yeah, that's that's quite a story. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry sorry about the long-winded story. But, I mean, I think that there was some backstory that needed to be taught or Mm -hmm. said. So why did you decide to jump into iOS development when you wanted to make apps and rather than something like Android? What what pushed your decision into that corner? Um, I think it was because I was already in the iOS space. You know, I was I already had an iOS phone. So I just looked at my phone. I was like, uh, well, I mean, how do I make an f- app on my phone? Mm-hmm. So I figured I can't use, I can't develop an Android. I can't see what's going to happen on an Android device. So I, I said, okay, well, let me see what I can do about putting some on actually on my phone. And that's where that led down. So, And why is it that you went back to San Francisco um, to, while you were like teaching yourself? I, you were teaching yourself at that point, right? Yeah, I was literally just doing YouTube videos. Uh, I did a couple of Udemy courses, um, but nothing really structured. Nothing mm-hmm. really, I mean... Other than the Udemy courses, I was great and all. But um, I went to San Francisco uh, kind of on a whim because out of pure grief still, because I was still grieving my dad. And also because I knew that if I really, really wanted to do this, you know, I found a love for iOS and I found a love for software engineering because, you know, audio and music kind of almost felt like it turned its back on me because I couldn't find work, you know. And so I... I decided just to put my head down and put my nose to the grindstone and just go for, go for it all. And that's why I moved down to San Francisco. And uh, I felt like, you know, it's the tech hub of the world. Why not? You know, who, who knows what could happen? So mm-hmm. that's why I went. Fascinating. Like that, that is one hell of a story. I can tell you. That. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And, and how, how are you doing with Lambda right now? Uh, are you so totally done? Uh, no, I'm, I'm currently in unit four. Um, I was originally in the full-time schedule, but with, you know, me being homeless at the time that I started Lambda and, um, and, uh, trying to, trying to work, I need to provide for myself. Uh, so I went to part-time and I have just been, uh, doing, um, uh, the part-time schedule 
And so I have purposely held myself back when I don't feel like I've, I've gotten a hundred percent out of what I felt like I should have been doing because as much as I want to move forward and I want to get out of Lambda, like that's the, that's the whole goal. I want to know that I know this material before I go in front of, uh, potential recruiters or potential uh, employers because I don't want to have egg on my face. That's, that's the worst feeling. It is. It is. And and it's very hard. I've, I've seen it. Uh, I, I think you're making the right choice because I've seen it time and time again uh, where students would get like, I, I taught unit three uh, as you remember. Um, and then students would get there and they would be like, they wouldn't know enough to be there. And if if you're in Lambda, which is like a a school or, or as close as you can get us uh, to a school, uh, it's sort of fine because there's no consequences. But if you're out there with recruiters and and actual people, uh, it's way way more humiliating. And it's happened to me once or twice <laughs> to bomb an interview. Uh, so I I think you're you're making the right choice there. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. Like I. I love Dimitri's work that I'm uh, working with him, and I am looking forward to uh, computer science in the next unit. Um, but I'm also completely nervous of computer science. I'll be completely honest. Like uh, people have told me, <laughs> they would much rather go back and learn like Objective C than have to deal with uh, uh, computer science. So I'm I'm kind of on the fence, but I'm I'm excited at the same time. I actually brought that up several times. I, I always thought it was a shame that computer science wasn't taught in Objective-C because that would have been such a good opportunity to dive into the fundamentals of iOS development and like really deep, dive deep into there uh, to see how everything is actually built under the hood because Swift is not magic. It's just more code that abstracts things away from yep. how we use yep. it. Um, so like that is, I always thought as an instructor at Lambda that that kind of was a missing missed opportunity but alas it is it is what it is um yeah so uh as i understand it you're currently working on your own projects right now correct uh yeah so i mean i've got some personal projects i'm working on but the one that i'm i could probably talk about right now is uh the one i'm interning for it's for a company called uh livestock city uh so it's an app that's for lack of better terms, it's uh, the eBay or Craigslist of livestock. So you can buy or sell uh, cows, goats, chickens, like you name it, they probably got it. So it's, um, I've, when I first heard, it, I was like, this sounds really ridiculous, but I kind of grew up <laughs> on a farm when I was younger. So I was like, Oh, this actually might not be a bad idea. But uh, so, uh, I mean, we, uh, we were going to do it in Swift but some of the previous developers uh, looked like they had some spaghetti code in there and they had all their storyboards on one storyboard. And so, yeah. And so it wasn't well organized and the other developers were like, we can't work with this. What are we going to do? And I just came up with the suggestion of why not move to Swift UI? Because, uh, you know, I, I've had a couple of recruiters message me and, and request that I know some kind of Swift UI and, uh, I figured why not get some experience and hands-on uh, use of Swift UI because uh, it's only been out for about a year. And I know that if I get four, six, eight months of experience in Swift UI, it'll exponentially uh, help me later on down in my career when I can say, hey, I have eight months of 
of experience with SwiftUI and it's only been out for roughly two years. Like that would that would help me a lot. And that, that's interesting that they were actively asking about SwiftUI. From what I heard, uh, or from my own experience, I guess I would say uh, that I would think that SwiftUI would not be like table stakes for getting work yet because it does kind of prevent uh, older apps from working on older devices. But I guess it is a year in now. Uh, so a lot of companies are probably figuring, hey, most people have iOS 13 at least by now. Uh, so they're kind of uh, seeing that as a way forward. Now, it probably helps that widgets came out on iOS 14 and everyone wanted to get on the widget bandwagon. Uh, <laughs> so that kind of moved everyone forward, kind of like Emoji has done in the past whenever an update had all the hot new Emoji. Um, so I guess that's that's what's kind of pushing uh, that forward. What has interviewing uh, been like for you uh, so far? Uh, kind of a blessing and a nightmare at the same time. Uh, so I, I, last week alone, I had 150 recruiters hit me up in three days. I put, I made the mistake of, yeah, I made the mistake of putting my resume on dice. Uh, so if you've ever (laughs) used dice and you want to have a life, uh, don't put your resume up there. That is a bad idea. (laughs) So I, um. No, I, I quickly took it down, but, um, no, there was, I found out that a lot of recruiters nowadays are only looking for senior developers with at least three, three plus years. And I'm just going into my third year of development. And so I, it's hard because when they don't have, because now with the climate that we're in with COVID, they, they want to know that you can do the job. Like obviously before they want to know that you could do the job, but now the stakes are even higher. So uh, they don't want to have a junior developer have to bug a, a senior developer every single day and have to have to schedule a Zoom call now and possibly take out that senior developer's time to ask them, you know, five, ten questions that they might have had. They want to just be able to know that you can do that job. So recruiters knowing that I'm a junior developer are kind of pushing me to the side. And so that's been kind of the nightmare. However, I found about two recruiters out of those 150 who have been just awesome, just amazing. They put me in front of wonderful companies like like grade A companies that I would like to mention, but probably shouldn't right now. But um, <laughs> and I just I wouldn't even imagine working for some of these companies, and they've got me in front of them, and it's wonderful. Yeah, recruit. It's this whole. Go for it. Uh, sorry. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah, this whole this whole interviewing thing is like, it's extremely frustrating, and I I've learned so much about it uh, in the past probably year year and a half because I, I like Dimitri and myself we're we're old school developers so we like I I I think Dimitri has had this experience but right now if you go into an interview. You go in as a senior developer, you say, hey, I've had 10 years worth of experience. And then they go, okay, tell me this, tell me that. And that's it. That's the end of the interview. Like they either uh, give you an offer or they, they say, no, we're, we're going to pass. And I, for, for the longest time, I thought that was like more or less the default in the sense that like people have common sense for interviews. And it just so happens that they do not. Like there's this... It's it's a, a 
I don't like. I don't want to. I, I want to compare it to a boys' club or like the Italian mafia, where once you're a made man, that's it. You're in. Everybody trusts you. You can do whatever the hell you want. You can look for jobs. They'll give you like the, the simplest things to do, and that's it. But before that, it's grueling. Like you need to have someone in to to get you like the like to to get to get you made. So. I can totally understand that. It's very frustrating, very, very frustrating. And with those years that they often like have as requirements, you can't have more than 10 years. If you have more than 10 years, you're screwed. Like if you have less than <laughs> 10 years, you're screwed. It's a very like stupid mindset that they put themselves in. But the number one thing that I always tell people is you need to have confidence. You need to be rhyming with confidence to get through the process at all. Um, and if you have that confidence because you know everything that you've kind of studied up until now, and it's not like you know any less than any other developer, you just haven't had experience putting them all together in different parts and places and different combinations. That's all you're lacking, really. So uh, if you have the confidence that you at least know what you've learned and how to use it, then you can get through almost any interview. The key part, though, is never lie to the development team that you're interviewing with because you don't want to get a job that you can't fulfill. But, and this is a giant but, lie your pants <laughs> off on your resume in terms of like what your experience is. Don't, don't just leave a, a random gap there. You can put whatever you want there to make it seem like you have been working. And then when you get to the hiring manager, you're truthful about what you've been doing during that period. You've been studying, you've been improving yourself. But it's not a lack of... Uh, it's not like you've been stepping away from putting a bunch of hard work into it. Um, same for those years. Like when they ask for three plus years, they're asking for three plus years of actual work experience, which is like impossible to get if you're just starting out. Like you could be developing on your own, <laughs> yeah. but if it's not at a company, it doesn't count. So for the recruiter, it's yeah, I was working right. for a company. It's uh, yeah, the, they had me doing this and they had me doing that. And that could be your labs project, for instance. And it's just a little bit of white line because the recruiter's not going to talk to the hiring manager. They're just going to push the paper forward just so that way you can get to that point. Now, I know this sounds like sleazy in a way uh, that you have to lie to get your foot into the door, but that's all you really need to do is get your foot into the door. Um, and then once you actually get into that proper interview, uh, that's when you're completely truthful about what your experience is. And like it's your chance as well to interview them are they a good place that you want to be working at? Or are you just desperate at that point? Like, if you can kind of master that point to get into the interview process and skip the recruiting stage, which is full of baloney, then you can gain a lot of experience to be better at interviewing uh, and to have more confidence yeah. getting better and better positions uh, such that you can um, get the best offer that you can. We should we should probably change the name from code completion to like revealing the industry secrets. Because <laughs> <laughs> because I totally agree with Dimitri. Like lie as much as you possibly can without without being like untruthful. Totally <laughs> yes, untruthful. Because the developers like the the one skill that we constantly hone is like our bullshit uh, senses. Like trying to track a bug trying to build the future correctly it's all about making sure that the code is not lying to you 
or, or you are not lying to the code, whatever you prefer. <laughs> but that's basically it. You try and find the logical fallacies in the code or in your algorithm and you weed them out. So if you lie in your resume, that's totally fine. But once you get into the like into the yeah. actual interview, like if you get someone that's a that's a serious developer, let, let alone not, not a senior, someone who's a serious developer, like they'll weed out any bullshit almost immediately mm -hmm. very very quickly very very quickly because it's the higher obvious. you go the yeah 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 it's obvious right if i right. start asking like you say hey i have 10 years of experience and i tell you oh okay cool can you tell me about interface builder uh before xcode and you'd be like what that doesn't even <laughs> make sense well of course it doesn't make sense because you're lying but that's a point right that's I, right. I think that's the point well to kind of uh touch on you know stretching the truth and being sleazy. I actually just had a, uh, an experience where somebody tried stealing my resume online on LinkedIn. They, <laughs> That's they, a first. They, no, I, I swear on my life. Yes. Swear on my life. This is exactly what happened. So I'm, I'm, I'm currently interviewing for a company <laughs> and uh, the recruiting company that found me, found my resume, like they, they pushed me forward, so on and so forth. And uh, like two or three days later, my recruiter calls me. He's like, Hey man, like, why did you reapply for this position? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm I'm waiting for the interview. And he's like, well, I have your resume right here. I'm like, let me see it. And it's my resume, but it and it's all my information, but it's completely formatted totally differently. And and they they misspelled my name, and yeah, like and they added stuff and then they they took out stuff and and it's so weird. It's like okay, now not only do I have to fight other people. But now That's I have to find awesome. myself for this own position. So <laughs> like it's, a video game. It's like, yeah, yeah. Dark James so, has entered yeah, the arena. I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. insane. No, yeah. oh, I've never uh, heard of that was, before. It was weird. I'd never heard. Yeah, I like the the closest I'd heard was that someone got pinged on LinkedIn or some some other network saying like, um, "Hey, we're like a Eastern European company, and we want to." Uh, create you an Upwork profile, and you'll get thirty percent of all the work that we that we do. We just need the American name. So I'm not entirely surprised that someone would use your resume, but still, it's. I hope they crazy. didn't get the job, right? <laughs> well, no, no. My recruiter was actually like sitting right across from the guy who who got the my resume, and he's like, "Well, we're both going to be on this this initial interview to to talk to him." about what who he really is so oh, wow. I'll, I'll even show you guys the email after, after we get off of here too like it's it's crazy that is so. fascinating so as i was saying before like interviews are often like very one-sided it's just the interviewer asking you questions 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 and as a result of that they know nothing about who you are because you're just answering the questions that they want and and getting the answers that they want to hear in a way uh so like a, a crucial um uh, skill for interviews is actually asking questions back and sharing that mm -hmm. conversation so that way they get to know who you are uh, rather than you just being another candidate that they promptly forget about uh, which is the unfortunate reality when you're meeting a bunch of strangers one after another um, so I kind of want to use the rest of our time together to give you the opportunity to ask us questions regardless about app development about interviews about anything that you're kind of interested in um, from people that have uh, maybe more or maybe less than 10 years of experience as we've uh, placed on our 
uh, resumes. Uh, so this is your chance to kind of uh, uh, get our opinions or our answers to things that might be uh, interesting for you. Okay, cool. Thanks. Um, so I guess my first question would be like, uh, since I, I touched on, you know, uh, getting uh, called from so many recruiters and getting uh, all these messages and emails and just being bombarded with, with recruiters and then being brushed aside. Uh, like my, my first question is, is how can I as a junior developer cut through the noise uh, to show people that I can actually fulfill my role? Like, what should I focus on when I'm trying to, like, say, okay, I don't have the, the corporate experience of, of having this job or these jobs. However, this is what I've been working on. Should I focus on more portfolio projects? Should I work on more open source projects? Or maybe even getting an app out to the App Store? Like, which, what, what, are, what are some tips on, in that sense, should, should I focus on? Fernando? I was hoping you'd go first. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's a very hard question. I it's very frustrating to me that I thought I I had all the answers like a year and a half ago, and then I don't know anything anymore because because I just I have to reconstruct everything in my head because the the one thing the hurdle I can't get past is the that you have to get in the club, and and getting into the club is it, it like it can be done in many different ways like all, all of the ways that you said make sense like let me contribute to open source so that whenever i can send out my resume like people will see the quality of my code uh let me learn swift ui because it's the uh shiny new thing and people will see that that i'm very interested in learning new things um or like i can like just go ahead and network as much as you can because if you can get someone to recommend you, that's like almost like the golden ticket, almost. It'll, it'll get you into the to interview stage where you can just dazzle them and, and use your charisma to to actually convince the other person um, that you're worth it. Uh, but that's the issue. I, I can't get past that because everyone's like, I need three years of experience. And if you just don't have them, the conversation doesn't even get started. So I think I think the best advice I can give you is is what Dimitri has already said, which is if you can make it in such a way, uh, if you can write down in your resume and explain that you do have three years of experience in such a way that you're not lying, uh, that's your best bet. Uh, because once if if you can say that in such a way that you're convincing someone else and you're not really lying, so that you can get past the in-person interview you'll 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 be in a pretty good position it's, yeah i i think that's yeah dimitri it's all about getting like there are two aspects of this it's getting your foot into the door so that way you have the opportunity to have a useful interview and as fernando said knowing people is by far the best way because they will give a direct recommendation they're saying hey i know this person uh they know what they're doing uh and therefore like that is your ticket in now while you're at Lambda still, get to know the other students as much as possible. Interact with them such that they know who you are because they're all getting their own positions. And eventually, when it comes time that you are ready, they might be able to directly recommend you. Um, and like that is kind of the easiest because whoever hired them knows what they're getting. So if they can vouch for you, then that there's a lot of knowns 
uh, in that respect. Mm -hmm. Other things, uh, like, I, f I forget what it's called, uh, but just, I think last night there was a, um, a Swift happy hour uh, that was done, and oh, that's yeah, like yeah. a bunch of socializing. Oh, right. Socialize with other developers, right. because there is always going to be a team that is going to try to grow. Uh, and if you directly know the person, the people on those teams, then they can directly recommend you. Now, of course, that is hard to get to know everyone in the industry, but it is something that you can do little by little. The other way to get your foot into the door, fly your pants off on that resume uh, <laughs> such that it looks like the experience that you have is actual work experience. So right. don't lie about the experience itself, but make it seem like it was working at an actual company. It wasn't a gap in your resume. It's focused on the things that you want to say uh, that you are good at. Now, once you get your foot into the door and you get to the actual interview process, you need to be briming with confidence, right? Uh, otherwise, you are not going to look any better than any other candidate that is there kind of nervous and not sure about uh, if they're going to get the job or not. Um, so if, if you can get to the point where you know what you know, uh, to the point where it's mm -hmm. nothing, like if there are simple questions that come in, uh, you know how to work around them or you know how to use those aspects of development uh, to build what you need to do, that's perfect. If you have a portfolio piece, perhaps on the app store that they can look at ahead of time that you can just go ahead and bring to the interview and change the conversation from, oh, what's the difference between a struct and a class to, oh, how did you build that thing on your UI that you're showing us right now? If you can directly right. change that conversation, it's no longer going to be about, okay, let me go through this list of uh, questions that prove that I, the interviewer, are smarter than you, the interviewee. Uh, let's instead talk about something that you built. Uh, that is going to be way more useful because most candidates are not going to have that. Uh, so if you mm. can go ahead and directly show something that you built, even have the code ready on a laptop that you can just go and directly open, make sure that code is clean, mm. uh, then you can go ahead and really uh, give a good impression during the interview because they'll get to know you a whole lot more uh, than most other candidates where they're just going through their list. Uh, so I think those two aspects, and they both, like, you need to work at both of them uh, to make it happen. And don't stop working at both of them once you get your job, because when it comes time to getting another job, that getting your foot into the door is going to be tremendously useful. If you can go in uh, screaming with, you have tons of experience and a direct recommendation from someone on the team, you're already hired at that mm -hmm. point. Um, right. So, like, keep keep working at both of them. Make sure you always have some public code, whether it's open source or your own project that you've been maintaining uh, little by little, that is going to help you tremendously. If you work in the industry for 10 years, but it's all NDA'd, you have no nothing to show. Uh, and that is like a huge, a huge thing that can uh, prevent you from, uh, from moving forward. Okay, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I was just, it's just nerve wracking when you, you know, you get all these phone calls from recruiters and and sometimes you get brushed to the side because you're more junior than some, and then, and then sometimes people just don't know what you're capable of. So that's that's really awesome. I really appreciate that. Um, so my second question is kind of for the people who are who are super junior. These this one's going to be because I wish I was listening to a podcast like this two and a half three years ago when I was first starting out in a Starbucks cafe. And I know that someday there's going to be some junior developer that's going to listen to this and he's going to be like, what should I even be doing? So here's my question to you. If you yourself were starting out right now, this very instance, 
and you could have a senior developer guide you through the ropes. What language should a junior developer start learning? Swift or Swift UI? And why? And also, what are four or five main categories of learning that you would want to see them learn to get most prepared for their journey of being an iOS developer? That's a tough one. <laughs> I can I can feel the first part. Uh, the Swift UI thing is I'll say that it has to do with the size of the company. Uh, the bigger the company, the less useful Swift UI becomes uh, because of all the legacy code, all the bureaucracy, all the difficulties in refactoring. Uh, like it's it's very very difficult. So. If you, and, and like, I, I've written a little bit about this on the blog, but there's different levels uh, for interviewing, right? There's the startup level where it's basically uh, chatting, a take-home test, something like that. Uh, then there's the mid-level where like interviews get a lot harder. And then there's the Apple level where interviews are like two or three phone interviews, coding interviews, and then the on-site six-hour interview. Uh, the, the higher you go, the less useful Swift UI will become. Because uh, like you said, like with uh, the company that you're interning at, uh, it's uh, if the smaller you are, the easier it is to say, ah, screw this. Let's just do Swift UI. It's going to be uh, quicker to develop. It's going to be easier to maintain. It's already the future because we all, everyone, everyone knows that Swift UI is the future. It's just a matter of how long it'll take to get there. But since you're so small, it's very easy to say, ah, screw it. Let's go Swift UI. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's that's the goal, right? If you want to work for Apple, Facebook, like the higher up companies, uh, investing, uh, spend, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Spending time on Swift UI is probably pretty down on the list of things you should be doing mm -hmm. right now. Probably shouldn't be doing that. Um, and there's nothing wrong. I, I just want to make it clear before I hand it over to Dimitri. There's absolutely nothing wrong if you never want to work for a Facebook level type company. Like I would never work for Facebook, but a Facebook level type company, Apple, uh, Microsoft, uh, anyone that's on the big leagues, there's nothing wrong if you don't want to work there. Like there's trade-offs between working there and at a startup level or at a, at a lower level. So entirely a personal choice. Uh, the higher you go, the less useful Swift UI becomes. And just like Dimitri said, the more useful Objective-C becomes. Uh, yeah. I haven't coded in Swift uh, in, in one of the projects, I work on several projects. In, in one of the projects, I haven't coded in Swift in, in the longest time because, like, wow. the 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 cost of migrating from Objective C to Swift is just too high. There's too many people uh, depending on that software for us to go again and rebuild it or translate it. It's just not very very unlikely to happen. And yep. one thing to note is learn the language that is suited to what you want to be doing. If you want to be using Swift UI, then you're going to need to learn Swift. Like Objective C is not going to be useful there. But if you want to be doing Swift UI, you're also going to need to know uh, some UI kit because Swift UI can't solve everything. And sometimes you need to go down into the weeds uh, to be able to build those extra features. So like Swift UI is kind of beginner, but also kind of pro at the same time in terms of uh, the level. You need to really know your stuff to be able to pull something off in Swift UI that might not be possible with what is there out of the box. Now, you don't necessarily need to have those features when you're just starting off, so uh, that's that. Uh, but again, know the language for the thing that you want to be working on. If you want to work at Apple, you need to know Objective-C. It's 
going to be way more useful than Swift because most of the teams there are still using Objective-C. Uh, if you want to build Android apps, learn Kotlin. If you want to build web apps, then start learning about JavaScript. Right. Um, it's all about, like, there's no one language that's better than all the others. More and more, you're able to use one language across the board. Um, but don't think of it that way. Don't say, oh, I can learn this one language and get everything. Learn the language specific to what you want to be working on because you'll <laughs> learn more languages down the road. Now, the number one thing I should say is most useful when you're just starting off, learn how to learn on your own. And that is probably the most difficult thing, but being able to set a schedule for yourself, uh, have uh, milestones and goals that you can actually reach along that process is going to be so much more useful than focusing on one particular language or another, because you're going to be able to push yourself to actually learn things without having someone hold your hand through the process. Um, And that's one of the most difficult things, but the most useful as a developer, because we never stop learning. We have to keep up with everything year and year and year over. Uh, so if you can learn how to learn on your own, that is going to be way more useful than anything else because it's going to be the foundational building block that everything else is going to use um, afterwards. Yeah, and, no, that's, that's awesome. Okay. Go ahead, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, regarding regarding your the second part of your question, like the areas, um, I one thing I've constantly seen... And I've been praised for this, uh, not to not to give myself too much of an ego boost, uh, but developers love fixing things. That's partly why we went into development. We love playing with things, building, fixing. And it's very, very common for junior developers to come in, uh, like grab a story, like you need to fix this issue and then they fix that issue and then they keep fixing things and changing things because they're wrong or old or not performant or whatever. Uh, That's not how you work in a team. In a team, you go in, you fix your issue and you know that that the code sucks. The code is awful. Mm -hmm. Why is the code awful? Because like Joe Spolsky said, it's been there, it's battle tested. Right, all of those, all of the ugliness. It just means that people depend on it. The cleaner the code, the more likely it hasn't been used. So, internalizing that frustration of going in and oh my god, this is just awful. Why, why, why are we not refactoring this? Why this should be modular? MVVM, MVC. Let me throw uh, more architectures at you. Uh, Internalizing that frustration and handling, it's it's one of the things that I've seen people struggle at. Because like Dimitri said, once you learn to learn, the technical aspect starts becoming easier and easier. The things get harder, but you understand that the, the foundations of it. So, so it's not as difficult. Um, but doing that, going in, fixing one thing and getting out, that's something that I feel people are uh, overlooking a lot. Um, that and the second thing I'll say is um, preparing for the interview game. Uh, it's just you have to be an outspoken developer. You have to be able to, I, I hate to say it because I hate it, but you have to be able to transmit your ideas on a whiteboard. You have to be able to transmit your ideas in pair programming because most of the time it's going to be like, I personally work for, with code reviews on written form. Uh, like you open up a pull request or, or uh, request a code review, someone goes in later, uh, left, leaves comments and that's the back and forth. But for the interview process, you have to be able to do that under pressure with someone looking over your shoulder. 
I think those two are the big, big things that I would constantly be hammering on because the technical you have to do that. You have to like, if you don't have the technical, you're not a developer. So the technical is, is sort of a given that you have to keep moving forward. But those two other things uh, like emotional coefficient and understanding your frustration and things like that, that's something that you have to develop in order to get into the club. Okay, so this week's Thanks episode so of Code Completion is brought to you by NotPho. Tired of eating the same old meals time and time again? Consider Vietnamese food. You might already know pho, but there are a ton of other flavors specific to Vietnamese cuisine that are sadly not well known around the world. This includes everything from sandwiches like banh mi, rice plates like kom tam, and even the deliciously savory crepes known as banh seo. That's where the app NotPho comes in. It's a free app dedicated to teaching you more about the wonders behind Vietnamese cuisine brought to life with colorful and interactive illustrations and animations. Learn how to make many classic Vietnamese flavors at home, but even if you don't cook, you'll know how to order like a pro the next time you visit your local Vietnamese restaurant. Thanks again to NotPho for sponsoring our show. Search for NotPho, that's N-O-T space P-H-O, on the App Store today to give it a try completely for free. So uh, we don't have a new code completion uh, Sorry, we don't have a new complete the code uh, this week because last week's complete the code uh, still has not been solved. Uh, so either go back to listen to last week's episode or check um, out at Code Completion on Twitter to see the prompt uh, and give us a reply to see if you can get it right. Um, and that leads us directly into compiler error, uh, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionists and our guests' knowledge <laughs> about Swift, Apple, and all things development. Fernando is excited. Um, I hate this game. So basically, I'm going to have four prompts up on screen, uh, and each of those prompts might be factual, might be false. In fact, three of them are factual and code completions, if you will, uh, whereas one of them is a flat-out lie, the compiler error. Uh, So let's go ahead and uh, go over to the prompts, and let me see if I can record the screen. I think I have only one once. And it's a, uh, it's a pain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always so sure. Like, it's obviously number X, and it's never number X. So let's go through the, the statements one after another. So the first one, the UTF-32 <laughs> view provides access to each character as a 4-byte UNT32, representing the complete range of all 4 billion and so Unicode code points, but in their original, possibly decomposed forms. So number two, the UTF-8 view optimizes for memory at a disadvantage to manipulation speed, since each Unicode character may be represented by one or more bytes, making length calculations costly but necessary for many C APIs. Statement number three, easily accessible uh, by treating a string like a collection, the default view represents normalized characters as they would be displayed on screen, even if they were originally decomposed. And statement number four, the UTF-16 view is optimal when interacting with Unicode libraries, such as Objective-C's and a string, since it vends UNT16 code points as a standard in many programming models. Uh, So you might have noticed there is a theme to today, and these are string uh, views, so different ways of interacting with Swift strings. Um, And uh, they all kind of center around uh, Unicode and the different flavors of Unicode. Uh, so, James, since you are our guest for today, uh, why don't you go first and uh, deciding which of these is the compiler and which of these are factual? I was going to say, oh. oh, this is so easy. James should go first. <laughs> oh, right. 
<laughs> yeah, let me jump right on that. No. Um, Classic interview okay. questions here. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. No big deal. No, no pressure. Um, okay, so the UTF-32 view provides access to each character as a 4 by UN32 representing the complete range of all 4 billion Unicode code points, but in their original, possibly decomposed forms. Hmm. I'm just going to go through and see if anything logically doesn't make sense. So the UTF-8 view optimizes for memory at a disadvantage for manipulation speed, since each Unicode character, character may be represented by one or more bytes, making length calculations costly but necessary for many C APIs. That seems logical on that one. So, okay. Easily accessible by treating a string like a collection. The default view represents normalized characters as they would display on screen, even if they were originally decomposed. That doesn't seem like it would make sense on that one. So easily accessible by treating a string like a collection, the default view represents normalized characters as they would be displayed on screen, even if they were original. I'm going to say that that's the comp compiler error right there. Because it, I, I think that just, it. why would it, sh why would it count it uh, if it's already decomposed? I think that's the one right there. Okay, so if, if we mm -hmm. typed in an E and then an accent character, this would show up as E with an accent character. So that's what that means uh, when it's uh, saying that they go are going to be normalized even if they originally decomposed. But what's the default view? The default is if you say like array open parentheses string. So just turn the string into an array without saying string dot something. So number three is your final answer? Yeah, that'll be my final answer. Okay, Fernando? No, thank you. No, thank you. Bye-bye, <laughs> <laughs> Fernando. Um, <laughs> UTF-32 sort of... Uh, I, I don't think... Uh, so, again, we should probably rename from code completion to revealing the industry secrets because I have no <laughs> idea about strings at all i shouldn't be saying this please don't don't fire me so strings but... <laughs> are super complicated to be to be completely fair you're done for that now <laughs> but it's like utf32 i'd never heard about utf32 but that's just that's just probably my ignorance the og unicode i don't know if you're lying or not dimitri <laughs> uh so i'll leave that one that one for later utf8 optimizes for memory probably makes sense i think that one that one probably makes sense the only thing i may i'm a little bit worried is like making length cast calculations costly i need to think about it oh right because because it's unicode maybe up to 32 mm -hmm. I, I guess that makes sense uh number three i'm going to disagree with james here uh, there is value to normalizing their characters so that you can see them as they are on screen. Like Dimitri said, if you have like an E with an accent or like our sponsor, Fo, which has an O with a... Three accents on it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> with a thingy. Uh, uh, it, it, there is value in having it, in, in handling it as one character. So I can see that. 
Um, I can also see that UTF-16 may be a little bit more useful for Objective-C, but that's just my gut feeling. Uh, <laughs> this is very difficult. Yeah, my, my guess is either one or three. That's, that's what I'm thinking. Possibly decomposed. Why do you have to do this to me, Dimitri? <laughs> Uh, okay, okay. Since, since, since James thinks it's one or three and I'm a contrarian, I'm going to go with number four. <laughs> number four. <laughs> that way he can take the credit for one and three and I'll take the credit for four. You only get to take the yeah. credit for one of them, unfortunately. <laughs> Unofficially on Twitter, he, he can be like, oh, I, I almost got it. So, <laughs> But yeah, I'm going to go final answer with four. Okay, so let's uh, start with the ones you both agree on, starting with number two. So the UTF-8 view optimizes for memory at a disadvantage to manipulation speed. Uh, and that's because each UTF-8 character takes up one byte, but the character it represents can be composed of several bytes all next to each other. So if you don't know how many bytes each character takes up, you can't calculate the length by just dividing by the number of bytes. That's kind of why mm -hmm. um, uh, some uh, programming uh, languages use UTF-16 uh, because it kind of, gets most of the characters in two bytes. Uh, and that works for the vast majority of things before emoji became a thing. Uh, so that has worked <laughs> up until now uh, because you can just divide by two and you know how long your string is. Uh, so this one is absolutely true. Um, and that brings us to uh, number one, which you also both uh, agree with. So the UTF-8, uh, sorry, UTF-32 view. Um, so UTF-32 represents each byte uh, or each character with four bytes. Um, and is kind of the OG uh, Unicode um, representation. Uh, and as a result, you can still have uh, characters that are represented by more than one Unicode code point, but those are special Unicode code points, and there's no one code point that kind of merges them. It's kind of like the flags. You combine a flag with two letters, uh, and that makes you get the country uh, flag. Now, that said, there is no UTF-32 view on string. Uh, so this one is uh, the compiler error. Uh, so there is a UTF-8, there is a UTF-16, there is a Unicode scaler, which is of type Unicode scaler, but there is not a UTF-32 uh, view that's directly accessible. I missed the word view. It's like, I, I don't know why. Key part. I'm dumb. So let's go to yeah, number three. Uh, so easily accessible by trading a string like a collection. And this is, as I kind of explained, you say array, open parentheses, your string, close parentheses. You then get an array of character objects. So these are not numbers. Uh, and as a result, they can represent any Unicode character, uh, decompose or not. So uh, they are all normalized. So that way, dealing with them is practical and easy. Uh, and that's why an E with an accent, there are two ways of representing that. There's the code point with the accent, and there's a two code points, E and then uh, accent character, uh, and they get combined into one. Uh, and this will kind of more or less use the combined version, or if there's an emoji with seven characters, one after another, to compose the man and woman with child and third child and fourth child, uh, and so on and so forth of different skin tones and uh, genders, all of that will get mixed into one character, uh, even though it's going to be a whole flurry of code points to represent that. Um, and that one is absolutely uh, true. And that leads us to the UTF-16 view, which uh, is basically there for inter 
interoperability with other languages, uh, specifically Unicode libraries, which all use Unichar, which is a two byte, um, like UN16 uh, number essentially under the hood. And, and a string uses UTF-16 as well. Uh, so that is all there uh, to uh, mix in uh, for that. So thank you both for giving well, your best. <laughs> and failing. Fernando should Yay. have listened to James. James was on, on the right path, and he's like, I'm going to be a contrarian. Yeah. Uh, Trust your juniors. There you go, James. You can go on Twitter. Yeah. You can go on Twitter yeah. and be like, ha, almost beat you. I, I almost got you. Proof that seniors yeah, don't always almost. know everything, right? They need to interact <laughs> with other developers all the more to... Uh, to get everything uh, going the way uh, that it should. <laughs> uh, so in closing, uh, James, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this episode. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. Being and here. how yeah. can people reach out to you? Uh, yeah, so people can either reach out to me uh, on all social media. Uh, I'm at Twitter, uh, James W. McDougall. Uh, and... Uh, you can reach me at LinkedIn at James W. McDougall as well. Um, uh, any, if you want to just reach out, don't worry about uh, if I don't bite. So don't worry, I'll, I'll message back. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear from everybody. Awesome. And I understand it that you are also uh, open to any position that can come your way, correct? Any and all positions, remote or if I have to re relocate anything i'm i'm very open I'll, I'll move to greece if i have to to get a job so it's okay i mean i mean you I wouldn't be suffering would... greece is uh, <laughs> i mean i mean i don't think anybody would be suffering in greece so yeah <laughs> and as you all know he knows more about unicode than fernando does so uh if if unicode is a sticking point in your yeah. code uh skip fernando's uh resume and go straight to james's <laughs> I do not feel bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as always, I want to personally thank everyone else uh, for uh, listening in uh, every week to Code Completion. Uh, so as a quick reminder, uh, this is a podcast that you can uh, just search for in your favorite podcast player. Just search for Code Completion. Uh, but we also have a YouTube channel where you can see our faces, uh, make silly faces while we are recording. Uh, so be sure to check that out as well if video is more your thing. Um, do subscribe to our newsletter on our website. Uh, one day I will uh, send out the first uh, newsletter once I get around to writing up articles based on what we've talked about. Um, and we'll also be revealing answers to complete the code. So that way you have a bit more discussion about why an answer is uh, the way it is and why we chose those questions. Because spoiler alert, I'm not picking them randomly. Uh, they are all kind of anti-patterns uh, that... Um, we've seen time and time again. So we're kind of trying to nudge the needle in the right direction by uh, putting them out there and seeing uh, if people uh, really uh, can uh, find the right solution to things. So uh, we'll be eventually putting them out in a monthly newsletter. So be sure to subscribe to that. Uh, once that hits critical mass, I'll just start feeling guilty. Uh, so I will send out that uh, first newsletter at that point. Um, and once again, I want to give my thanks uh, to Fernando, who is at From Junior to Senior, that's F-R-O-M-J-R-T-O-S-R -R on Twitter, uh, for joining me this week. Uh, my name, once again, is Dimitri, and you can find me at Dimitri Buñol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, uh, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Okay.
Uh, so that's that. Fernando, you can run now. Run away. Yes. 